0: Welcome to a special edition of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Amplifying Black Voices, a series of interviews that help bridge the gap between what you think you know and what you need to hear about the true meaning of racial justice, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Real conversations about real experiences that lead to real change. Join the conversation now with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson.
1: Welcome, friends, back to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Kirsten, we're just having such an important conversation with friends, business colleagues, people out in the corporate world about what do these ideas of racial justice, social justice, what does it all mean? What are you picking up so far from these conversations?
2: I mean, our last episode bursting into tears as soon as being started, You know, what I'm picking up is just the raw emotion of the reality of this. Like, this is not a joke. This isn't some type of conversation that you have because you're trying to be good. When you're really listening, right, which is communication, the main part is listening, you cannot but hear the pain, and it's palpable. Mm -hmm. It's palpable. I will never know that pain, so I don't even attempt to try, But it's choking me up again. But if we make one pebble in a pond and one person changes their mind from what they hear in our discussions, then I will feel good about the work being done.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And we're so happy on this episode to have our guest, Harvey Austin. Harvey and I were uh, business colleagues a few years back. Harvey uh, manages a creative studio and a video production capability for a major global communications company, ad agency. And Harvey, it's just great to talk to you
3: again. Glad to reconnect and um, just kind of talk about a lot of different things that are going on right now and affecting so many of us in the community, business world, personally, and professionally.
1: Well, as Harvey and I reconnected, I told him I I enjoyed and appreciated seeing a lot of his posts on LinkedIn, maybe other social media, but about initiative to support Black artists, Black creative talent. I guess I'd like to start with, in a corporate environment, what experiences can you share with us? Again, uh, just to get real, what do we need to know about what's happening in a business environment today?
3: So, you know, the one thing that has really been kind of extremely insightful to me is sparking back from the George Floyd murder. I was on LinkedIn and I was on a lot of other social sites. And the one thing that I really noticed this time was that, you know, obviously this has happened many, many times in our society in the United States. This has been going on for many decades, police brutality, systemic and systematic racism. Within corporate America and politics and the communities and whatnot, but what I realized this particular time um, was that there were so many different organizations and companies who were posting uh, different things in regards to, you know, the George Floyd murder and then social injustices. And you know, I've been in this business for about twenty years, and all of the many different things that have happened. I'd never seen business communities and businesses take any type of action or even stance from that perspective. And so then I had to back up a little bit and then say, okay, is this just a reaction because we're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone basically is not tending to what would be the normal day to day? And so this particular situation of George Floyd, at least, was really seen by everyone from a global stance because we weren't doing our regular, normal day-to-day lives that we would have been doing when this has happened in the past to several other Black men and women. And it really didn't have the same type of response that it currently did and had. And so, you know, I'm a Black man, of course. And so I've been in corporate America for over 20 years. And the one thing that I've always realized is that there were certain things that I was not necessarily taught, but I was just shown that you cannot say certain things, you cannot be a certain way, you cannot necessarily be your full self, not meaning that that is necessarily Black or white, but there is an acceptance level and there is a way that you have to perform or act in order to be seen to get to that next level. What I started to realize about myself in this situation was that how many more, you know, I'm a vice president at this point, but how many different, avenues and how many different politics and how many different non-black, you know, white people did I have to necessarily feel like I had to impress in order to get to a certain level, to feel like I could never speak up about some of the different things, you know, that would be said in different meetings, you know, by white people in no regard to the fact that I'm a black man sitting in here and you're making references about people who are not your color or who haven't had the same cultural experiences as you do, and me not speaking up and saying anything about it because I felt like, okay, I won't be able to make it to that next point and I will be seen as either angry or I'm just trying to cause trouble and it's really not that big of a deal from their perspective. You know, on my LinkedIn page before this, you know, I'll be the first one to say it really wasn't as, I didn't speak up as much as I would have liked to, but it's time for a change and the only way that we're able to have a change from a corporate wide stance is to have individuals black and white within these large corporations and just within the community of the united states and globally as a whole to start to speak up about things that just simply aren't right and to be able to have that voice and that freedom to be heard and not necessarily to be seen as confrontational but just as anything else would be concerned, any other thing that's going on to be able to have that freedom to speak up. Looking back on my life, growing up, I didn't really know what the world of advertising was all about. Um, I didn't know what creative arts was really all about. I didn't know anything outside of the typical norm, you know. I didn't have uncles and aunts who kinda of sat at the table during Thanksgiving or Christmas and you know, a copywriter or someone who worked in the business or Anything from that perspective. So everything that I learned, you know, I did have to learn from individuals who were not Black. I went to school and typically, you know, I was one of two, maybe in a classroom auditorium of, you know, two or three hundred people learning about art history, learning about graphics, learning about advertising. So when you look back on those experiences, you are subconsciously trained to know that that's just how it's going to be or you feel like there's really never going to be too much diversity going into particular fields. And so you have to either tell yourself, all right, I'm going to be an agent of change, or I'm just going to sit back and allow what has been seen as a typical norm to just be that. Because, you know, being honest and being real, America is an extremely diverse country. When you see ads on television and PR placements, a lot of those don't represent a diverse community within the United States. And so I think the whole situation right now, and even with Breonna Taylor's officers not necessarily being charged for her death, is just another blow and another wake up call to say, we have to start speaking up as a whole in this country to be able to deal with these things are injustices and they're not right. And so in order for us to be able to move forward, we have to come together as one, and we have to be able to listen to the different experiences, especially from the Black community. Um, The Black Lives Matter is something that is truly needed because what it is saying is, it's not saying that other lives don't matter, but it's saying at this point in time and throughout history, the Black life of men and women and children in general just have not been regarded as important or that they matter or that it was necessary for them to have the same opportunities and roads of, and paths of success that other races have, particularly the white race. And so I just think it's important as a black man for me to be able to stand up, not just to help people of color, but to help individuals who are not of the minority. To be able to understand, you know, what some of the things that really need to happen and really need to take place moving forward. I do believe that it can happen. Um, I'm never a person who's going to be pessimistic and say that we can't get to a better place, but there is action that has to be done and it's going to take more than just the black race. It's going to take the community of everyone being able to understand. And when we we do say be anti-racist, that's meaning you may have biases, you may have opinions, you may have different experiences that have shaped your view, but you have to be responsible and conscious enough to look at that and see how is this formed within me? Why do I think this way? And then be challenged about it to say, you know, maybe I should change the way that I think about this. Maybe I should stand up and speak up for some of the things that I'm seeing, even if they don't affect me in a negative way, Mm -hmm. because they're affecting your fellow man, no matter what color he or she is.
1: You know, that really strikes me, uh, Harvey, because I think about those meetings that you're talking about and not to turn this around about me by any stretch, but I do think about I might not have said it. I might not have heard it, but I might not have heard it the same way you did or somebody said something and I didn't speak up. And I should be held accountable for that if I'm being anti-racist as opposed to just I'm not racist. I would never say anything like that. I see the real distinction now that maybe I didn't see before as you were describing that.
3: Right. Well, yeah, you know, and it honestly, it is a learning for everyone to be able to learn. And that's the biggest part of it. You know, a lot of of times you hear, well, you know, we don't have time to educate others about some of the different struggles or some of the different um, injustices that we're dealing with. But that education... And this conversation that we have and being open and honest and real is really what is needed. And there may be offenses that you know that happen and there may be conflicts that happen, but we have to be able to come to a place of understanding and listening and ultimately make that change. Because if we don't talk about it from all the way from the corporate organizations, all the way down to our city streets, nothing will ever change. Um, At the current company I'm at now, with everything that has happened in the last few months, myself and several other individuals have come together to start a Black employee resource group. And so that resource group is in play now, and the purpose and mission of it is to really look inside of organization, our organization in particular, to say, is there a representation of Black individuals within this organization at high levels, executive levels, and even um, non-executive levels? Are we at least meeting the percentage of African-Americans, Blacks within the United States within our organization? Are there programs, are there initiatives where we're doing recruiting? Are there initiatives, are there um, programs where we're retaining these individuals? Are they being promoted? And, you know, it's not saying let's give someone a free ticket, but it's saying at least let's look at our organization from an internal stance, be honest about it, and see how much diversity do we have across the board. Because if you don't have a diverse executive leadership and you don't have diverse individuals within your organization, then you're not really going to see things from a diverse perspective. And you're not going to be able to serve the community, whatever product or whatever service that they're offering you're not going to be able to service that to a diverse community or a diverse world, which is what we live in. So we have to really step back and look at it from that perspective. It's not about one community or one race or the other trying to necessarily take over. It's all about making sure that everyone has a place at the table that everyone is represented, represented across the board.
2: I have a couple of things. I'm going to throw a bunch at you and see what sticks. Run with all of it or none of it. I am fortunate. I have a diverse set of clients. So I get many perspectives in the conversations. And there was an acquisition of a company. What was so astounding to me was their marketing was all women. It's an IT company, but the entire company is white male which to me was an incredibly disingenuous Mm -hmm. statement, you know, and that was my intuitive assessment. What you see is what you get and it's not real. So that I'm just throwing that out there. Don't know what that means, but you know, to use that, to gain for more white male success, Mm -hmm. that astounded me. The second piece, you said something that was so valuable. You know, you mentioned you could not be authentic Mm -hmm. and our day-to-day show that we have is about reaching your highest potential. That's what IntelliKey is, reaching your highest soul potential. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you need to be authentic. Right. Right? For your soul expression, it requires authenticity. So for you to have no voice, right. it's a miracle that you've even achieved what you've achieved. But I'm also clear, you're not even at half capacity
3: mm-hmm.
2: of what your potential is. Would really be had you been given the same opportunity.
3: Right. But, you know, from that perspective, it's like you, it's almost an unconscious knowing that, because there are many different stereotypes that you can easily fall into, not necessarily because you are really falling into them, but because that's the label that's being put on you. Mm-hmm. And I have seen many different situations to where. You know, for instance, there are certain things that I just knew at that point in time. If I speak up and I say something about this, I'm going to be coined as an angry black man. And he's been put in this position and he's defensive about everything. But no, I'm extremely intelligent. I'm very educated. And everywhere I am, I have worked myself with the help of others to get to that place. But, you know, it's at a point now and I've even talked to I'm, I work with a lot of younger Executives of the advertising who are of color because I want them to be able to be free to be who they are because being a creative and being yeah, in this,
2: exactly. this
3: arena, that's, I mean, that's the whole purpose. Yeah, of you have being, to be and,
2: whatever you are. <laughs>
3: right. Yes. So I've been really, and that's why I post so many different things on LinkedIn that talk about younger artists and different creative ways to express yourself <laughs> and be your authentic self and be who you are. You know, and so it's important to me to be able to give back from that perspective and just reach back and say, no, speak up. If there's something that's going on that you know is not right, or even if you just feel that it's not right, speak up about it and be able to be free about that and know that you can have a conversation and have a two-way conversation so where you can be understood and heard. Because that really will help individuals to just expand honestly who they are and in that conversation, you are helping to educate others, mm-hmm. which is extremely important. But you know, the what you talked about authenticity, that's really a big part of what I'm advocating for to change that because there are plenty of qualified candidates. There are plenty of qualified people, men and women, you know, who can be on many different executive boards, many different leaders of companies to represent exactly what they're putting out there to the diverse community. I've seen so many different initiatives go forward, you know, even with the Me Too movement, which is a very which was a very much and still very much needed initiative. That, in in my opinion, and a lot of opinions of, of supporters of the Black Lives Matter initiative that is the same path that we want to follow. It's not that there's no takeover or there's no ill will meant by it. It's basically saying, give us that same understanding and same attention that is rightfully ours.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. As a female, thank you for
3: that. You're describing something,
1: Harvey, that's really shaping this proactivity. Right. Right. Just because, again to say, well, I'm not racist, I'm not, I don't discriminate, I would hire anybody based on their qualifications. But you're saying, but it's, it's been systemic so right. long that you must go further right. and be more proactive in your recruiting, right. in your uh, what, reviews and promotions.
3: Instead of just saying, you know, I would do this or I would never do that, be proactive in actually going after what it is you say that you're going that you're advocating for that you would that you would do. Because you know, if there's no action taken and it's just from a stance of okay, if we have some applicants or we have some some candidates come across our path and we can look into it, no, the goal is to go out and actually be an agent of change and look for that, to make that change, to show that diversity is important across the board, to show that black individuals. From a corporate stance, and even within our communities, they need to be seen and they need to be recruited and heard. I'm definitely not a person who is against the police, but I definitely believe police—it needs to be reformed. The whole system needs to be reformed to deal with behavioral and mental health of individuals. And when you go into particular communities, every community is not the same. And when you go into communities that are not as um, socioeconomically high as others you're going to have different mindsets and you're going to be dealing with different people. So you cannot expect that every situation that you run into as a police officer is going to be the same. And so you have to have behavioral health and mental health and other individuals, social health workers who are a part of that team to be able to help these different situations because those types of things can be seen that we see on the news, you know, constantly of police brutality are the same types of things that go on inside corporations, but they're not police officers. They're um, vice presidents, they're executive vice presidents, they're leaders of teams who have those microaggressions or those different mindsets that they're not physically abusing or beating up someone, but that mental that corporate and those professional abuses are happening
2: yeah i've been in corporate spent a long time in corporate Mm -hmm. and at a c level the amount of emails i was talking about the amount of monkey obama emails right went around i typically was the only obama supporter in these c level positions and to your point i didn't speak up to mark's point i didn't speak up out of fear of what would happen to me as a single parent could not afford to lose that paycheck. When you really think about it, there was no way or you either submitted Mm -hmm. or you were out or you were out. Right. So opportunity equaled taking the punishment.
3: That's what I'm saying. You know, it's not necessarily physical abuse that's happening, but that is still brutality. Then there's no way around it. still
2: brutality.
3: Well, I guess then, Harvey, if
1: we continue that thought, then if there's no justice, there's no peace. Right. And if there's brutality and aggression in the workplace, that's not justice. There will be no peace. What what does the speaking up
3: look like then? So the speaking up for me looks like putting different things into action in regards to metrics. So for instance, if you have a organization that has say 10,000 people, there should be metrics and there should be goals and there should be a 30, 60, 90, 120 day plans to be able to change the aspect and the view of what your organization looks like to match what our society is. That to me is taking a step of peace. And then when things come about and you know different people deal with what I like to call aggressions in the workplace, They should be able to have a place to go to through employee relations, through HR. And that HR team across the board should be just as diverse as that organization is as well. And that's men, women, people of color. Because you cannot necessarily tell me that you as a Black person or a woman can go to a team of HR individuals and they're all white men or they're all, no one on that team looks like you or has any type of of experience that you've had and that you feel safe, you know, speaking about some of the things that have gone on. So Mm -hmm. I really, really think like the, with the corporations coming, in my opinion, at least saying what they're going to do over these next few years in regards to diversifying their workplaces and giving back to um, some of the organizations that, support the uplifting of minority communities there should be plans in place that we can see and we can know that those things are going to happen
2: okay i'm going to give you a very white statement and i can say this because every white person i know i've heard it at least once my so-and-so relative friend or family did not get the job because of affirmative action and we were poor because of it because that black person got the job or that woman got the job that my so-and-so white male would have otherwise gotten. And I'm putting that out there for the white community just to put them on the spot, because that's the most ridiculous statement.
3: I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the, the the white race is still the majority race, at least in the United States of America. So I'm not convinced that at least we're going to look at the black population. If 13%, let's include black women and black men, if mm-hmm. 13% of a corporation is represented by that race and group of people, there's still over 80% that mm-hmm. does not necessarily have to be represented by that. So,
2: right. And, I, and as our last guest pointed out, look beyond the mail room. Right, exactly. Like, look, if that 13%, half of that is made up in the mail room, right. then managerial and up, right. I'd be curious to know what that percentage is.
3: Yeah, it has to be, in that diversification, that's what I'm saying, has to be across the board. We have to start at the top executive level, mm-hmm. and it has to be represented throughout every aspect of an organization. Because, to your point, if you have the majority of, uh, minorities in the lower-paying level jobs, that's not changing anything in the community.
0: Mm-mm, because no. when
3: they go home, those same things that are dealt with in those socioeconomic communities, none of that's going to change. So it has to be a broad spectrum of change across the board. You know, something I talked to my wife about is, you know, when you go into specific communities that are you know, lower socioeconomic, why is it, okay, I understand there may not be as much money here, but why is it that the area doesn't look at least clean? You know, why, why are some of the things not taken care of that can be taken care of? And you know, she talked to me and she explained to me, well, if you constantly as a person are, you see images that don't appreciate you, you hear things that don't affirm you, You're always feeling like you're not important. So ultimately, you're going to start to feel that way. And everything that surrounds you is going to start to look that way as well. And so if you don't have images on television, if you don't have mentors, if you don't have people in your life that you have access to that can give you a better perspective or a different view of what life can be. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, from a behavioral and mental health stance, you're not going to feel that it's possible and everything that surrounds you is going to mimic and look like exactly how you feel and, and, and think internally. Oh, and
2: my God. When are we interviewing her? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah her. thanks, Harvey.
1: If you could just put your <laughs> wife on the phone. Uh, you know, and this is one of these parts of the conversation that we never get a chance to, to have. Because, you know, our hour is up at the meeting, so we can't have the chit-chat anymore. But, you know, Harvey, I I can't tell you. Kirsten's talking about over-the-dinner-table conversations. I cannot tell you how many times my aunts, uncles, my mom has said, why can't they just mow the lawn? First of all, they say they. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, why can't they mow the lawn? Why can't they pick up the trash? Why can't they tear down that old building? Et cetera, et cetera. But you've put it in a much bigger context of this self-image right know, and the external recognition Mm -hmm. that you know there's more to it so it's really helpful to understand
2: yeah and for our viewers i want to point out an incredible documentary on netflix 13th amendment right speaks to this Mm -hmm. it speaks to the systematic intentional Mm -hmm. self-destruction of the, of the black psyche to right. ensure that that happens. So in fantastic documentary, must watch for everybody.
3: Yeah, that it really does show that mental aspect of in the propaganda and the messaging that's, you know, that is put out, that was put out, it is put out to have you see yourself in a certain way and then ultimately reflect that outwardly.
1: And so being in a creative field, First of all, I think your observation to be proactive, looking at the resumes, if you were two uh, black people in a class of two or 300, of course there's not gonna be an equal number of resumes. <laughs> so right. you would have to yeah. go through to, right. to proactively look. But, but you're also, you, are you in a position to change some of that visual commercial imagery so that we can see a more inclusive population?
3: Yeah, so that's one of the biggest things that I am, as far as within my workplace and then even organizations that I work with outside of my business, I'm always going to, always now I can say, I didn't always necessarily do that in the past and I have to deal with some of those things that I didn't do in the past. But now I definitely look at and I have to challenge people to look at advertising and what's being put out in a different way. And you have to stop yourself and say, okay, who is this going out to? What is the demographic? And even if the demographic in your mind is a particular sector, do a little bit more research and make sure, because we need to make sure that there's representation of a diverse view. You know, I worked for an organization many years back, and it's something that I still look back and say, you know, I should have spoken up about that, but there was a a campaign that I was working on and we were doing uh, rollouts for the United States and then also for the Hispanic community. And so it got down to the point to where we were doing strategy. We had all of that ready and then it came time to roll it out to the Hispanic community. And literally the only thing that we did was changed everything to Spanish and changed a few colors. All of the imagery throughout the entire campaign were of white individuals. I look back at that and I say, why was there not a thought process to budget this and have this project in a space to where we, if we know we're rolling this out, specifically the Hispanic community, why wouldn't we have images that represented individuals from that community targeted for that specific rollout? Well, there's, the reasoning was there's not enough budget. But we spent all of this budget on all of the creative up front knowing that we were ultimately going to do this, but there's not enough budget, and that was pretty much the end of it. And so I didn't say anything. I didn't speak up about it, but I think about that quite often, and I'm like, that was not effective at all because literally all we did was take the English and change that to Spanish, but the representation throughout all of these images – throughout all of this campaign, are all of white people. You
2: know, your language, though, there is not enough budget. That's exactly what's happening in our government today. There is not enough money to do what's right for the people that need it. What you just said actually parallels a larger issue. There is not enough money to do what's right for the right reasons for the right people.
3: And I don't even believe now, looking back, I was very... Mm-hmm. I was very junior at that time, but looking back, to me, there was enough budget. It was just they didn't want to spend the money on that. It
1: wasn't yep. worth it. Well, Harvey, as we wrap up here, I just can't thank you enough for your forthcomingness, yeah. your honesty. You're just giving it to us straight,
3: and that's exactly
1: what we need to hear.
3: I think open, honest conversations are just really the true, true, only way that we can ultimately be agents of change because conflict can be good conflict. You know, it could be effective. It can be helpful. It can be changing. But if we all sit back and we pretend like nothing is wrong or we pretend like nothing needs to change, nothing ever will. There are many things that have changed over the years, but then when you sit back and you look, it's like, wow, some things literally, you know, my mother was dealing with some of these things back when she was a young woman. And here we are in 2020, and I'm seeing the same things going on. And so some things really and truly have not changed.
1: And I see that. In fact, as I reflect on it, what you said, I'm probably closer to your mother's age than to your age. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I thought, surely in my lifetime, yeah, that we'll get through some of these things, but now Harvey, if you would go with me now. I mean, let's talk to a ninth grader, an eighth grader, who are the future. It could be in their lifetime, this next generation coming up. What what do you say to these young kids?
3: I mean, the one thing that I have to say about the younger generation, the young kids these days, is that they really are, from what I can see, pretty fearless. And so, with that, I say keep moving forward. Keep being strong. Don't let anyone or anything back you down. The ideas that they have and the ability that they have to express them and then the technology that they have that we didn't have to be able to use to their benefit and to be agents of change, continue to do that. And the, the biggest thing is no fear. Don't be have no fear. Continue to be fearless and continue to speak up because a lot of the things that Some of the older generations and even myself, we were afraid to speak up and we were afraid to say anything because of the consequences that we feared we would have to deal with.
2: I agree. The youth is amazing. I love this generation. And they don't have the same predilections we do. They just don't have it. And they refuse to have the world that I lived in. So thank you for acknowledging that because these children are beautiful.
3: Yeah, they absolutely are. And, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter, you know, and I look at some of the things that she, you know, talks to her friends about and some of the things that she's already accomplished and the tools that she has, you know, and she's very vocal. She's very opinionated. And, of course, that can go both ways in a parent-child relationship. But in the (laughs) same stance, I'm like, you know, keep that fearlessness and keep those thoughts that you have and keep pressing forward and keep speaking up, you know, because you can make that change. And like you said, they don't care about the things that we Mm -hmm. thought were so
1: important, you know, that make sure that we had. Well, we really appreciate it. And as we promised our listeners a conversation, but we also promised you might hear some things that make you uncomfortable. You might hear some things that might change your point of view, but also change your actions. So we really appreciate it, Harvey. And then after we talk to your wife, sounds like we should talk to your daughter. We're going to get to the truth when way or the other. <laughs>
3: right, right, right. Yes.
1: All right, friends. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We've been amplifying. Black Voices. Our guest has been Harvey Austin. He's a VP and Managing Director of a creative studio within an advertising agency. And and I think we heard a lot of ideas on how we can use our careers and our vocations to also create change. And change is what we're all about and change is what we need desperately right now in our world. So thanks for joining
0: us. You've been listening to a special edition of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, amplifying black voices. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright 2020. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. I'm Jason Lanier-White. On behalf of your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.